This is the How Did You Get Into That Podcast with Graham Baldwin, episode 17. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, boys and girls? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? My name is Grant Baldwin, and uh, I am honored that you decided to hang out with us. We are at episode 17, my friends. Yes, that's right. We're an upper teenager at this point in human years, uh, I guess would be the, the proper time frame for that. I don't even know what that means or what that has to do with anything, but we're about a month and a half into this podcast, and I'm just super stoked that you're hanging out with us. I'm having so much fun. I've gotten so many emails from listeners and, and people just like yourself who are really, who've said that the podcast has been so helpful. It's been so been a bit beneficial for them, really helping them just kind of process and figure out, you know, not only like what they're currently doing, but does it match up with, with who they are and what they want to be doing? And so uh, feel free to email me anytime, anything that I can do to help you and support you in your own journey, email me at grant grantbaldwin.com. Um, again, literally every day we're getting lots of emails from from people. So really, really enjoying hearing from you guys. Also, if you haven't had a chance already, you can go by our site, grantbaldwin.com. And uh, on the homepage there is a place where you can actually put in your email address. We're going to send you five questions to help you find and do work you love. So maybe you're a person who's going, I, I don't know what it is that I want to do. I just know what I'm currently doing is not it. Then listen, you got to begin taking steps towards figuring out what that thing is. You can continue on the path that you're on and you may just tolerate and exist and just put up with life. Or is it possible that you could do something totally different, something that you would look forward to, something that you would live for, something where no longer do you have to feel like, thank God it's Friday, to oh God it's Monday, but something where you would really look forward to every single day and the opportunity that you got to do work that you love. So make sure that you stop by again, grantbaldwin.com. You can check that out. Five questions to help you find and do work you love. Now, hey, one other thing I want to ask you about or have you uh, just a quick favor from you if I could. Uh, we're doing a survey right now that we're running for a couple weeks and I just want to hear some feedback from you. I want to hear what you like about the show, maybe some guests that you might like to hear from. And I'd also like to hear just what are some of the things that you're, as it relates to your career, what are things you're chewing on? What are things that you're wrestling with? What are things that you're like, man, I could really... If I could just pick your brain on this, Grant, I could really use some help here. What are those types of things? That's the kind of stuff that uh, we want to hear from you. We want to be able to to hear from you and, and, and be able to support you as you figure out and, again, find and do work that you love. So if you'd like, if you'd help us out, go to grantbaldwin.com slash survey. grantbaldwin.com slash survey. Write that down. Put that in your phone. Make sure you get that in your uh, in your noggin. And uh, swing by there, grantbaldwin.com slash survey. We are, again, doing the survey. The deadline is July 20th, Sunday, July 20th. If you're listening to this way in the future, we're in 2014 right now. So if you're in 2029, you have missed the cutoff. So July 20th, 2014 is going to be the deadline. Again, it's a quick little short survey. Just fill that out. We are going to do a drawing with everyone that fills that out for a uh, $50 gift card for iTunes just for helping us out. So that would be awesome if you could do that. All right. Hey, enough about that. Let's get to today's guest. Today, we have a great guest, a, uh, a podcasting legend, so to speak. Today, we are interviewing and hanging out with John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. And uh, John is a guy who's been podcasting for a couple of years. He's a guy who started a podcast every single day. He's, he's literally releasing an episode every day, interviews with lots of cool entrepreneurs and people that are doing cool stuff. And uh, I, I really, really enjoyed this interview and just being able to share it with you guys today. And some of the stuff that really John has kind of wrestled with, because if you're familiar with John, he's obviously he's uber successful 
successful today. He's done very, very well in the podcast and, and just business world. But he didn't just magically arrive at this space. So one of the things that's real interesting about his story was a really difficult conversation he actually had with his dad about making a dramatic career shift and just kind of how that that played out, how that went over with his dad. I think you'll you'll uh, be intrigued by that conversation. Maybe if you're someone who uh, needs to have that difficult conversation with a parent or loved one about making a career leap. Uh, also, we'll talk a little bit about the just the value of having his personal finances in order, which really gave him more opportunities and options with his career. Because really, at the end of the day, he didn't feel trapped because of debt. He had so many different more options of what he could do because he had his personal finances in order. So uh, I, I would encourage you to pay close attention to that. If you're someone who's going, man, I just need to, I got to get out of debt. I need to, I need to figure out my finances. Yes. Yes, you do. Absolutely. That's something that has been a, a huge, huge blessing for my wife and I. Several years ago, we really started paying attention to our money and got serious, started living on a budget, started living on less than we made. And we're just very, very intentional about our money. And it's made a huge difference in the amount of options and opportunities because we are not handcuffed uh, by our debt or handcuffed by, by finances. So, uh, and then also uh, other things that we'll talk about with John today is how he tried a variety of different careers, how he was looking for that one fit, how he felt frustrated along the journey and how he dealt with and processed that struggle. So maybe you're someone who's, I'm trying a few different things. I just don't know what that one thing is for me. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that today. I think you can, you can really resonate with John's story. All right. As always, you can find all the show notes, links, everything that we discussed at grantbaldwin.com slash John Dumas. So make sure that you stop by, check that out and let's get to this. Let's do it. Here's John. Enjoy. All right, welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? My name is Grant, and today we are hanging out with John Dumas. John, how you doing, man? Grant, I am stoked to be here and, of course, prepared to ignite. I wouldn't expect anything <laughs> less. All right, let's do this. So for someone that's not familiar with this and these, these terms and, and lingo that you're using now, you run the site Entrepreneur on Fire where you've got a, the blog, you've got the podcast, you've got a couple different irons in the fire there. For someone that's not familiar with you, tell us a little bit about what you do, kind of an overall view of your business. Sure. So I run a podcast called Entrepreneur on Fire, which comes out seven days a week with a new interview with an inspiring and successful entrepreneur, really focusing Grant on sharing their journey. So we don't just talk about what they're doing right now. We do get to that eventually, but we start with a failure at some point in their life and we analyze that failure. We talk about it. We get the lessons learned. Then we move forward to a light bulb moment that they've had at some point that they've turned into success and we have them walk us through the steps they took once they had that idea because a lot of people have these great ideas, but then they're like, well, what's next? And then we do talk about what they're currently doing, what they're passionate about, and we end with the lightning round, which is where we ask five great questions, a book, a resource, the best advice they've ever had. And we have a blast, Grant. We've been doing it now for over 600 days straight. We won Best of iTunes in 2013, and we generated over 829,000 downloads in the month of May alone. That's crazy, man. Well, you're killing it. And uh, obviously, it's, it's something that doing seven a week is just a, a massive, massive commitment. <laughs> and I know that you had a lot of doubters coming out of the gate, but uh, you, you've been, been uh, able to sustain it so far so good, man. You're killing it. So let me ask you this. Obviously, this is something that's fairly new to you given that you know, within the past few years or so. Is this something that's always just been intriguing to you or just been on your radar or how did this kind of come to be? 
So podcasting in general was not even on my radar until really 2009. That was back when I was in real estate and I was like, oh, okay, like I'm always in the car. I hate the radio and talk radio is boring with 12 minute commercials every five minutes. There's okay. got to be something better. I wanted to buy an audiobook every single day, but that gets pretty expensive. So I stumbled into podcasting and that was just love at first listen. And I haven't stopped since. I, I listen every single day, even to this day. I take a nice paddleboard out here in the San Diego Bay and I'm listening to my favorite podcast while I'm paddleboarding. It's kind of my way of unwinding from a, a very long and busy day. So it was something that I really enjoyed for a long time. But Grant, just as a consumer, just as somebody who knew only how to press the play button, it wasn't until 2012, so almost three years later, that I had the aha moment of saying, hey, I see there's a huge void in the marketplace. Nobody's doing a seven-day-a-week show, but yet I'm driving to work five days a week. I'm driving home to work five days a week. Where's that seven-day-a-week podcast? I saw the void. I jumped in hook, line, and sinker. I locked down the amazing mentor herself, Jamie Tardy of The Eventual Millionaire, who is now an incredible mentor for you. And Grant, I was off to the races. She's a legend. <laughs> Legendary. Indeed. So you dive right in. And obviously, whenever you're coming out of the gate doing seven a week, I know that you had some people that were going, I don't know about that. <laughs> you're biting off a lot there. And I think that's a good lesson for anybody who may have this idea, this dream, this goal, this thing that they want to do. And they're talking with friends, family, people that are maybe in that space. And everyone's going, I don't know about <laughs> that. So as, as you're sharing kind of your idea, your dream, and in the back of your mind, you're probably going, I think I can do this. But at the same time, this is a bit crazy crazy. <laughs> What's kind of going through your mind when you're talking to other people and they're giving you a little bit of pushback on it? So you're always going to have doubters. You're always going to have these external forces that just don't get it. And oftentimes they have what's best for you in mind. They really want you to succeed, but they just are like, they don't know. They don't get it. It's not something they're familiar with. So they're just going to question it and they're going to try to potentially pull you back into what they consider is a more safe, a smarter and more secure path. And, you know, that was my friends. That was my family for sure. You know, the question I get even to this day, but I mean, back then it was the only question I got was, how are you ever going to monetize? this thing. I just don't get it. This makes no sense. You're going to be delivering a podcast for free every single day. Like, What kind of monetization is that going to have? How is that ever going to turn into a viable business? But even more so than that, Grant, you know, my mentor, Jamie Tardy, you know, God love her. And she's amazing. And she helped my business in so many ways. And Cliff Ravenscraft, who was the podcast answer man, I was in his mastermind and I was engaging with him every other week on video talking about what I was looking to implement. You know, those people were the tops in the industry and still are to this day. And when they were telling me, John, I don't know, maybe you should just do once a week. I was like, wow. That excites mm -hmm. me because if the top people in the industry are actually thinking it can't be done and are thinking that it might be impossible to pull off, that's exciting. That means if somebody can figure out how to do it, wow, there's an opportunity. So that just made me commit even more, put my blinders on Grant, listen to my heart, to my intuition and follow that. And it was a lot of hard work. And of course, as soon as I sat down with Jamie and said, listen, I am committed to this. She was 100% supportive and behind me and made it happen for me. And we launched in September of 2012 with an incredible amount of doubt, fear and uncertainty. 
but it's only been a roller coaster since then with more ups than downs. I dig that perspective, though. You know, when you're talking to some people who, at least in the space, would seemingly be knowledgeable and wiser on it and going, nah, I don't know about this. So rather <laughs> than going, oh, well, I should probably listen to them going, no, no, that makes it even more mountain that I can climb. And Blue it makes, ocean, it's gonna, baby. Yeah, no kidding. It just makes the opportunity even greater that not only is no one doing this, but it makes the bar so much higher that, man, if no one's doing this because the bar's so high, I think I could pull that off. I think I could, I could make that happen. So I love that perspective. Because again, so many people, when we listen to those doubters or, or well-intentioned friends or family who are going, I don't know about this. That's a cute little dream that you have there, but you might want to just put that on the sideline for now of going, okay, that just encourages me even further to just make it happen and figure out how to pull it off. Totally. Couldn't agree more. All right. So obviously, now you've been doing this for a couple of years and it's been hugely successful, but let's backtrack a little bit. What were you doing prior to this? Because you're born and raised uh, on the East Coast, right? Born and raised in the state of Maine. First 18 years of my life in a really podunk small town. And I went to college grant on an Army ROTC scholarship. So when I graduated, boom, I was a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army for the next eight years, four active, four in the reserves, did a 13-month tour of duty in Iraq, really intense experience. And after my experience in the military, it was law school for a semester, hated it, I quit. It was corporate finance for a year and a half, hated it, quit. It was residential real estate for a couple of years here in San Diego. Didn't see myself wanting to continue, so I quit. Commercial real estate back in Maine. That's where Jamie and I eventually linked up right before I launched Entrepreneur on Fire. So I quit commercial real estate to launch Entrepreneur on Fire. So my early 20s was all serving our country, being an officer, fulfilling my duty and my requirement that I had for taking the Army scholarship. My later 20s and early 30s was all about just swinging and missing in different career paths because I knew that I wasn't going to settle for something that I wasn't passionate about, but I had no idea where that passion lay. Finally, I was able to connect with Entrepreneur on Fire, but it was a rocky road up to that point. Yeah, and it sounds like you tried a, a bunch of different things, and obviously there's you know there's a lot that was packed into those few years there. So even coming out and being involved in ROTC, was that something that you always wanted to do? Was that just like, hey, this is the, the path of least resistance, or I don't know what else to do, so let's just join the military, or where was your head at at that point? You know, it's hard to really kind of pin down what a 17-year-old is thinking. <laughs> right, exactly. But, you know, at the time, I, I really wanted to go to a, a great college, Providence College, which was like $50,000 a year, but it was amazing. And I was pretty financially savvy even at that young age. And I knew that I did not want to graduate with $200,000 in debt. So the Army scholarship appealed to me, you know, to a 17-year-old four years is a lifetime away. So I never thought that that was ever going to happen. Of course, I snapped my fingers and I was in a, in a military uniform four years later after graduation. But you know, at the time I was like, yeah, I'll definitely take a scholarship. They're going to pay for everything. And then I'm going to get to graduate for free. And yeah, then I'll spend four years in the army. Like in 2002, I mean, it's 1997 now, like that year's ever going to happen. And that was just kind of my thinking at the time. Right. So it sounds like for you, the military and the army was just kind of a means to, to an end at that point of just, hey, I know I want to go to college. I know this is going to help me fund it. So let's just start down this path and see where it goes. I came from a family of service. My grandfather on my mother's side was in the Navy. Um, both my grandfather and father were in the U.S. Army. So I really respected people that served our country, and I knew it was something that I did want to do. And so that added to the commitment as well, knowing that, you know what, at the end of my four years, I'm going to have a really respectable and secure job as an officer in the U.S. Army. Of course, in 1997, all was pretty well in the world. 
But then September 11th happens. I was the first class of commissioned officers post 9-11 wow. to be commissioned. So Intense. <laughs> just like that, we went from all is well in the world. I'm going to spend a great four to eight years in the army just doing my thing to, all right, I guess this is real. We're going to war. Wow. That's intense stuff, man. And, and just personally, thank you for your service because uh, you are <laughs> much braver than I would ever dream to be. So <laughs> Thanks, uh, bravo and well done. That Very, very cool. So you, you finish up your tour there and you just kind of thinking, again, just head down the law path. Is that kind of the next logical thing or where did the law thing come in? Yeah, again, I was just kind of wandering. I was kind of clueless at that point where I wanted my life to go. I graduated, or I didn't graduate. I was done with my active duty requirement at the age of 26 with a lot of money in the bank, with no debt, but with no real clue what, what that next step was going to be. So I spent a year just traveling. I went to India and Nepal for a year, trekked the Himalayas, was in a Bollywood movie, went to Guatemala for four months, lived with a Guatemalan family to learn Spanish. And then I finally came back with basically a long beard. And I said, okay, let's, you know, let's get serious <laughs> with life now. And to me, getting serious was going to law school. My father was a lawyer again. I was just kind of falling into you know, what my generations had done before me because I had no real clear path or pull myself. And so I knew from day one that wasn't for me. And I decided to stick it out for the semester because I felt like I owed it to myself. But it, at the end of that semester, I was just like, I'm not going to spend the next two and a half years just hammering this point home about how miserable and how much I hate this. I'm out of here. So when you're doing these first two paths, both the Army and uh, going down law school, uh, it sounds like since you're family or you've got relatives that have gone down those similar paths, did you feel pressure from them to go down those paths? Or is this more of a choice? And just this is just kind of what I know. So I'm going to continue down that road. I didn't feel pressure to go down the, that path, but I did feel a sense of pride for choosing to go down that path because they were really proud of the decisions that I made. And my father especially was really excited about the decisions that I made because he was proud of my service in the military as his service was as well. And he was right. also excited that you know, maybe down the road that we'd be working together in the study of law. So there was just a lot of things that were going into that. So it was more of a personal choice because I just didn't have anything else at that time that was pulling me. But overall, it just wasn't for me. So day one of law school, you realize it's not for you. You stick it out for the semester, though. Uh, this is something that you initially are wanting to do in order to, you know, because it seemed like something that you'd want to do. But at the same time, you know, the opportunity to potentially work, work with your father is appealing. So you pull the plug on law school. How is that? affect your relationship with your dad? What's that conversation like? It was probably the toughest conversation I've ever had. He was unbelievably disappointed and really questioning my decision as any logical parent would, I think, at that point. But it didn't damage our relationship in any way. I mean, you know, he went off, he accepted my decision and he got over it in his own little way. And then, you know, we were back to being you know, in the exact same father-son relationship that we've always had, which is a very strong relationship. But then there still was a huge question mark of what's next. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have a, a similar spot where maybe they're going down a path, not necessarily because they want to or don't want to. It's just this seems like the opportunity of their path of least resistance, or it is something that their parents, they're doing to make their parents proud. So if you were to go back and have that conversation with your dad again, is there anything that you would do differently? Or maybe someone that would be listening to this is going, I need to have this same conversation with my parents and I'm dreading it. What advice would you give? What two cents would you, would you give for someone like that? So I knew that I really wanted to get my entire point across to my father. I wanted to basically lay the entire case out in front of him about why I was making the decision that I wanted to make. And I knew that if I had sat down face-to-face -face with him, which I did sit down face-to-face -face with him, but I knew if I sat down face-to-face -face with him and started talking that 
his reaction, he might interject. I would never be able to get across exactly what I needed to get across before he first came back with whatever his response was going to be. So I sat down and I wrote out an actual letter and like I actually typed it out and I basically handed him to the, I sat down on the couch and I said, dad, I want you to read this entire letter before you comment or say anything about it, but I'm here and we can talk about it for as long as you want to afterwards. Here you go. And I just sat back and I watched him read it and obviously watched his face turn from like interest to surprise to shock to just, you know, really confusion. And then we had a long conversation and I made my case, which he really didn't agree with most of my points, but that was fine because my decision was made. And, you know, I was 27 years old at this point. I had, you know, spent four years leading men as an officer in the U.S. Army. I wasn't afraid to stand up for what I believed in. And I was convinced in my path and I didn't look back. Nice. Good for you, man. So you pull the plug on that. What happens next? You said you head into real estate? I actually got into corporate finance with John Hancock. So for me, I was always into finance. My dad's always been huge into investing as well. So ever since a young age, he's always had a little fun for me in Fidelity where I could do some stock trades and learn all about that. So I had been trading stocks and getting to understand like what mutual funds meant and reading Warren Buffett and Vanguard for all the years growing up. So I knew that that was something that really did interest me. So I decided to try corporate finance. And I did that for a year and a half. And it was in Boston. I was hanging out with my friends, living with them as well. We got a place together because I went to Providence College in Rhode Island. So a lot of my friends just kind of matriculate to Boston naturally after graduation. So the social aspect of it was great. The work was good. I mean, it was challenging. The financial rewards were good. But the passion was just lacking. So you're there for a year and a half. I mean, day one, is it lacking passion or do you feel like, no, 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 this is it? Or how soon are you feeling like, eh, I got to go back to the drawing board again? I say it was a full year before I started having those thoughts. I mean, it was exciting. I was having a lot of success because I was applying the hard work ethic that I had as a military officer to the actual job that I was doing. So immediately I was heads and shoulders above the rest as far as amount of outbound phone calls, the amount of talk time. I was winning all the awards. Like I was having a lot of fun and a lot of success with it. And I was enjoying it. It was, it was, it was a really good experience for the first full year. I think that's really common for a lot of people. Not necessarily common, but I think it happens quite a bit where people who uh, get into a space and from the outside looking in, you're killing it. You're doing what's not to enjoy. You know, you're, you're winning the awards. You're at the top of your game. Everybody's patting you on the back. But inside, you're just like, ah, I'm just dying. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know this isn't for me. Uh, so what was it, a, you know, a year and a half into it that made you decide to pull the plug there? Well, it was actually a really clear story in that point. So it was about at the six month point that I was, I mean, sorry, the year point. So six months before I ended up handing my resignation that I started having those first thoughts of like, okay, like this is good, but you know, I'm not really sure that I want to continue on this career path because I see where it's leading and I don't know if I want to even go down this path because if I achieve success, do I even want to be in that position? And the answer was kind of being becoming pretty obvious that it was no. But you know, I, I kept going because I was enjoying the job. I worked with good people. And again, it was funding a great lifestyle in Boston. I was having a blast socially and everything was going well. But then the economic recession hit um, of 2008 and you know, stocks went to all over the place. I walked in one day and it was kind of out of the blue. We had over 200 people in our actual division of John Hancock. By the end of that day, there were 70 of us left. So they chopped 130 people just like that. So I went from this like loud rambunctious office to like a ghost town. 
And, you know, all the cubicles around me were empty now. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and I was honestly never concerned because one, if I did get fired, I was like still in this financial situation where I knew that I could, it would probably would have been, I probably would have looked at it as a semi-blessing where like, oh, okay, like they're getting me out of here. And, you know, it's just obviously not for me anyways. The, the times are just tough, whatever. But, you know, I was one of the top performers there. So they kept, you know, the top, whatever percentage that was, like 30%, 40% and got rid of the rest. And I remember the next morning, we were all in the conference room, which used to be a conference room that was packed, standing room only, because, again, there's over 200 people in our division. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I felt like this ghost town. And the CEO's up there being like, look around. Like, we've chosen you to be here to, to make it through these tough times. If you're not 100% convinced that you're on this team, then you need to walk out this door right now, X, Y, Z. And I remember being like, everybody around there's like, yeah, yeah, we're with you. We're here. Right. We're like, because they were stoked because they had their, you know, they kept their jobs and a lot of them were living month to month and like, like a lot of people were. And the only reason I wasn't was because of my military experience with the army scholarship and all that stuff. So I was in a unique situation financially as, as opposed to most of my peers. And I went back to my cubicle. I typed into Google boilerplate resignation form. I printed it out. I walked into his office 20 minutes after that meeting ended. And I said, I'm not your guy. Like you want people that are honored and stoked to be here and they're on this team. Well, I don't feel that way in your speech made me realize it. And then he was like, John, that's not what I meant. Like I was just trying to get people fired up. They threw a 30% raise at me, which was wow. significant because I was already making six figures and they did X, Y, and Z. But I'd already, again, just like with that letter that I handed to my father, I made my decision. I walked out the door with no job, no real prospects, just the decision and the realization that I was off to something else. I like one of the lessons there that you kind of alluded to that everybody else in the room was dictating their decisions based on their personal finances. And it sounds like, you know, for you, you're someone that's been real disciplined and really took care of your finances. So, you know, you weren't in a spot where I had to make a career decision based on the paycheck, but I was willing, I was able, uh, and it just being in a spot financially to really kind of turn the tables and say, no, no, I can really choose to do whatever it is that I want to do because I've taken care of my finances and because uh, I don't have to allow that situation to, to dictate where my life goes. 100%. Nice. So then you go from there into real estate? Yeah. Then I was just like, hey, let's drive up to San Diego. Let's try some real estate. I mean, I feel like I can just do my own thing. It was kind of my first real entrepreneurial venture where I was waking up in the morning and I was planning out what I was going to do that day to try to make it happen. So how long were you doing real estate before you start to pull the plug there? Um, I was out there for a couple of years, two years, um, real estate in San Diego, living on the beach, enjoying life, uh, figuring out some really cool niches that I was excited about in the real estate world that was generating a lot of revenue and things were definitely good. But the one thing that was lacking towards the end of those two years was that I was like, okay, I'm in my 30s now, my, my low 30s, but I don't feel like I have a career path. And so an opportunity came all the way from across country back in my home state of Maine where I hadn't lived for 13 years, ever since 18 when I graduated high school. And it was a job in commercial real estate at a firm that was offering me a partnership track and I was like, now that's a career that I can sink my teeth into, go back to Maine and give it a whirl. So I did. So you head back there. How long are you doing the commercial real estate deal? And you're kind of on that, that track towards ownership and kind of ultimately being the boss. How long are you doing that before that you decide that that's not the course? So 14 months, I was in commercial real estate, rocking and rolling every day, working hard, getting to know the, the industry, the field, making my way you know, up the ranks and, and on this great track for partnership and enjoying it. 
um, on a lot of levels, being back home in Maine with my high school friends and with my family that's all there. And my sister had just had a baby. Like life was good there as well. Like every single step was great for a different reason. But I'd still be in commercial real estate right now if it wasn't for one day in June in 2012, I was stuck in traffic and I had an aha moment to launch a seven day a week podcast. I had never thought about creating a podcast before that day. It hit me like a load of bricks. And within two weeks, I had quit my job, hired Jamie Tardy, and started the journey. Let's talk about that. And let's kind of wrap up with this because you're someone who's done, you know, you did the military, you did corporate finance, you did law, you did real estate, all like seemingly logical paths of travel for you. And each time it was kind of, you know, a year, two, three years or so and realize, eh, this isn't for me. For someone who may be listening to this, who may be going through something similar and going, I'm the type of person who's driven, I'm motivated, I can, I can make stuff happen, I can get stuff done, if only I knew what that thing is. Are you feeling frustrated at the time? Are you feeling, hey, this is just the way I'm going to do it, I'm just going to bounce from thing to thing to thing for the next 30, 40 years of my career? Or what's going through your head at that point with kind of that, the various changes that you're making? There was a lot of frustration. Like Frustration was probably the overriding fact of, you know, why can't I wake up in the morning and just be fired up? of what my day is going to hold instead of kind of dreading it and looking forward to 5 or 6 p.m. where I can come home, grab some dinner, work out, and then you know hang out for a couple hours before I wake up again with that same feeling of not excitement of what my day was going to hold. And I was frustrated about it, Grant. Like It was frustrating because I, I saw other people that were out there doing it and having excitement about their passion. I mean, my, my partner in commercial real estate was also my brother-in-law, and it was so obvious that he loved what he was doing, and he was getting a kick out of it every day, and he was really good at it. And I was jealous of him. I was jealous of everybody that was hearing on podcasts that were talking about how they were inspired to... Uh, to start their business and that every morning they woke up ready to crush it. And I always wanted that. And it wasn't until my idea for Entrepreneur on Fire came that I ever really felt that burning fire within. And I knew that it was something I was not going to ignore. And I knew it was something I was going to commit to 100%. So again, despite having to disappoint the company that brought me out to, to Maine, my partner, my brother-in-law, my family who was excited that I was probably going to be locked down in Maine, I decided to quit. I launched Entrepreneur on Fire. I moved back out to San Diego about eight months later because it's amazing out here. And my <laughs> girlfriend, who I'd moved to Maine with me, is from San Diego, so she was pretty excited about that. And it was just uh, a, a decision that I made based on the passion within. Nice, dude. Well, I know we're running short on time, so I want to put a bow there and wrap things up. So uh, really great stuff, man. And I think for a lot of people, I think they can they can resonate with your story and just kind of, I'm trying a couple different things and I'm, I can be successful at each of them, but I still don't feel like I found the thing. So hopefully that your story will be an encouragement and inspiration to those people that are in the, a similar spot. So John, for people that uh, aren't familiar with you or want to find out more about you and, and follow your podcast, where can we go? Absolutely. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Grant, to come and chat with you and your wonderful audience today. And if they want to find out more, eofire.com is where all the magic happens. And every single week, Grant, we do a free live podcast workshop about people that are interested in maybe, hey, podcasting might be something for me in 2014. Grant, like it's obviously been great for you. And we just teach people how to create, grow, and monetize their podcast on this free live webinar. And we share with them the insights of Podcasters Paradise, which is our community of over a thousand podcasters who are all doing that exact same thing. And it's just a great free resource for anybody that wants to check it out at podcastersparadise.com. Sweet, man. Well, we'll definitely link up to both of those in the show notes. John, thanks for the time, man. Enjoyed chatting, and we'll talk again real soon. Thanks, Grant. 
All right, that was John Dumas. Hope you enjoyed that and uh, enjoyed hearing his story and kind of what he's been through to arrive where he's at now as a uh, as a podcaster and just entrepreneur. And uh, hopefully you can resonate and resonate with his story. As I told you at the top of the show, please feel free to email me anytime, grant at grantbaldon.com, if there's anything that I can do to support you on your journey to find and do work you love. Uh, and then also I mentioned to you that survey. If, again, if you wouldn't mind, just swing by, check that out, grantbaldon.com slash survey. Again, we're going to do a $50 giveaway to iTunes. So uh, you could win 50 bucks. You could you could buy a lot of music with it. You buy a lot of apps. You could buy a lot of movies. I don't know. Whatever you want to do with that iTunes gift card. It's all yours. No stipulations. No strings attached. We're just going to hook you up with it. Okay. Well, yeah, because we like you. We're nice people here. So swing by, check that out. Uh, it'll be a very quick, brief survey. I promise you that. And uh, that will really help us to continue to best serve you and know how we can help you on your journey. All right. Hey, everything that John and I talked about, as always, you can find at grandbaldoncom slash John Dumas. So make sure that you swing I check that out. Uh, one other thing I'll mention to you as well. We've got so many just great reviews and feedback from people on iTunes. And again, I just, I, I thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the support. And whenever I read one of these reviews, it just, uh, just makes my heart smile. I love hearing back from you guys and, and uh, knowing that it's encouraging you, it's challenging you, it's causing you to think. I was reading this, uh, I got this review the other day on iTunes, five stars from someone by the username Quack. So if you're Quack, thank you for this. It said, this podcast is better than a cup of coffee in the morning and inspires and motivates me to think beyond my cubicle walls, imagine a better future. The guests tell amazing stories of their own personal journey, and I find myself completely engaged in their tales and eventual success. Give this a chance, and you'll be hooked. So uh, thanks for that quack, whoever you may be or whoever you are. Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Anyway, that wraps up episode 17. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for supporting. How'd you get into that? We will be coming at you again real soon. Peace out, Girl Scout. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.